0: Welcome to Episode 7 of the podcast of Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story. I am the author, Shereen Chichiboy. Chapter 7 I could be pushing up daisies. Oh, God, not again, Judy protests to Pat as she comes in with a tray. You took some this morning. Now you know he needs these blood tests to tweak your food. I'm just a pincushion to Jeege, Judy groans, using her new shortened nickname for Gigi Boy. Well, if your veins would stay open for us, we wouldn't have to prick you three times a day. I dare you to find a vein, Judy taunts back as she sticks out her arm with its papery yellow skin and lines of needle tracks. Pat takes it and taps till she finds a vein. She loops the tourniquet around Judy's upper arm and ties it tight. Judy winces. They both watch her blue vein swell until Pat slowly, slowly punctures her skin, trying not to hurt her. With agonizing slowness, blood flows maroon and thick into the clear glass. Once all the samples are taken, she snaps off the tourniquet, tapes cotton wool over the puncture mark, sweeps up the needle and vials onto the tray, and hurries out. Judy calls hoarsely after her for ice. Getting blood taken is thirsty work. Judy runs her tongue over her cracked lips. She worries her loose, gummy teeth and gingerly pokes at her sore gums. Her breath parches her tongue. Ice, she croaks again. Suddenly, the cup is in her hand. She sucks and sucks. The ice chips melt in the hot confines of her mouth and are gone. Pat takes the cup from her and places a tray of Q-tips and bottles on the nightstand. She pours hydrogen peroxide on a Q-tip and sticks it in Judy's mouth, running it over her gums and teeth. Judy grimaces at the solution's bite. Still, it cleanses the stale thickness. Pat soaks another Q-tip with glycerin. She sticks the Q-tip in Judy's mouth, rubbing the inside cheeks, gums, teeth, and tongue with moisture. Judy sighs in relief and falls asleep. Pat lets her rest for a while, but it's soon time to inject vitamins into her buttocks. These vitamins suspended in oil cannot go in her alimentation. Pat lifts the sheet, checks the spray from the needle, and jabs it into one of Judy's hips. Judy yelps. The oily emulsion pools for a while inside her muscle before ever so slowly being absorbed. That's painful. Very painful. But she smiles, just as she does suggesting changes, endless blood tests, alimentation changes, catheter cleanings, catheter replacements, drainage tubes, injections. Pain means life. And if she can endure all this, then Jeech will save her. Meanwhile, Jeege has kept his word. He administered no antibiotics for four days, and far from keeling over, Judy's powerful immune system battled the bacteria eating away at her innards, cooling her fever and rehydrating her body. Judy wants to live, unquestionably. He has her permission, the only one that counts, to do everything possible to save her life. There is nothing dignified about dying without putting up a fight for life. Cheech consults with an infectious diseases, ID, specialist, and they decide to try a course of massive antibiotic therapy. But the therapy has no effect on the aggressive bugs. He and the ID specialist stop the therapy. They'll have to rely on the drains to siphon the bacteria out of her. She is reaching the critical point. Either the bacteria will kill her, or she will kill them. To see what's going on inside her, Jege orders a gastrographic x-ray. Judy tolerates the contrast she must swallow, and the x-ray goes well. He and Langer study the film and do not like what they see. Duodenal and descending colon fistulae, holes from the bowel stumps to the skin, riddle her abdomen. Gige goes to speak to Judy. We have the results back. You have a free and wide opening from your duodenum into your peritoneum. The anastomosis has broken down. Judy blinks. What this means is that the two free ends of your bowels are emptying their contents into your body. She stares at him. You understand? She nods. This is why you have a massive infection. The massive therapy isn't working, so we need to operate. Dr. Langer is going to operate on you, he says. The surgical resident will come and speak to you about it. Later, as promised, the surgical resident comes in to see her. He tells her the same thing, that the massive therapy isn't working, and that they are going to operate on her to close up the two wide open ends and put new drains in. We believe that will cure your infection, he explains. She nods, but it's still all gibberish to her. Tomorrow, he says. Tomorrow. That she understands. She is afraid and yearns for Cliff. She hangs on to the thought that he will be with her without fail at 7pm. He strengthens her that evening. This is my third date with the knife, she jokes, as she sees the surgical resident come in to prep her on the afternoon of October 21st. You ought to put a zipper in. It'd be much simpler to unzip me when you want to play with my innards. He smiles and then swiftly injects her with atropine and methicoline at 4 p.m. The plan is to keep her intralipid, or subclavian, lying open during surgery with 5% DW. At 7 p.m., another resident performs a coagulation screen for the OR. Langer doesn't want unstoppable bleeding to surprise him in the middle of surgery. Meanwhile, the hospital calls Cliff at work. Cliff has a set route for his sales calls, and so it takes Viv in the office only 10 minutes to track down his next client. She tells the client to have Cliff call TGH. She hangs up, swivels in her chair, and calls, Girls! The office staff soon all know that Judy is going under the knife again. About 30 minutes later, Cliff has the news too. He drives straight to TGH to wait in fear. His father has already made the funeral arrangements. The orderly wheels Judy out of her room to her date with the scalpel as the sky blackens into night outside. At 7.45, she's in a small room with big round lights staring down at her. She's surrounded by her surgical team, Langer, chief surgical resident Dr. K. Wayne Johnston. There are two surgical assistants, an anesthetist and the surgical nurses. They lift her off the gurney and onto a thin, hard surface. She feels like she's going to fall off. Her arms stick straight out to the left and to the right. She is on a surgical cross. Her heart pounds. They put a mask over her face and tell her to count backward. Her eyes close. The anesthetist suddenly calls out. Judy's blood pressure monitor reads zero. Her pulse is non-existent. Judy lies lifeless on the table before them. They bag her quickly and pump air in and out of her lungs until the anesthetist can slide a tube down her trachea and ventilate her with a machine. Meanwhile, a nurse hangs a unit of blood on Judy's IV pole and connects it to her line in an effort to increase her blood volume and thereby raise her blood pressure. Next, the nurse hangs a unit of packed blood cells. With no blood pressure, they cannot operate, and Judy will remain dead. They watch and wait. Her blood pressure rises, low but measurable. The team sighs in relief. Langer incises her scar. What the surgeons see is most bizarre. Although Langer had anticipated the mess revealed before their eyes, Johnston's eyes pop. Judy's duodenum is at one end, her large bowel stump at the other, both infected and scarred. The two ends have pulled apart, becoming unhealthy and ischemic, and are so far away from each other that it's impossible to reattach them. All they can do is oversew the bowel stumps with wire sutures and insert drains to siphon the congregating pus out of her abdomen. They thread a gastrostomy tube, or G-tube, a Foley catheter, through one of her fistula in the greater curve of her stomach and into the duodenum for decompression at 8.30. They use this tube as an air vent. Next, they cut more holes in her stomach to suction it independently through new drains. Finished, they sew her back up with wire sutures, as wire doesn't dissolve or react to skin, and they can easily remove them if they need to go in again. The operation ends at 10 p.m., Langer puts her alimentation on hold until the morning. The surgical residents take blood to measure her blood gases. And the GI, gastroenterology, residents take blood in the recovery room to measure her electrolytes, HB, HCT, and WBC. Her post-operative orders include 2 milligrams of talwind to be given as needed and 5% DW to continue to keep her subclavian line open. Judy had received an inadequate 3 units of blood during the operation and so the next day they give her an additional four units of blood. In 1970, the risk of contracting hepatitis is low, and AIDS is not yet on the horizon. Receiving blood is worry-free for Judy. Langer finds Cliff in the waiting room and speaks to him quietly in a straightforward, matter-of-fact way. He explains that the operation went well, but that Judy's chances of surviving and leaving hospital are small both because she has severe peritonitis and internal fistulas from her duodenum and colon, and because there is no method that has been demonstrated to provide long-term nutrition outside of the hospital. After listening to Langer, Cliff continues to wait to see Judy when she comes out of the recovery room. When he hears that she's back in her room, Jeets checks on her. Cliff is already there, sitting silently, looking worried. Will she live? Cliff asks. We're doing everything we can. Dr. Glanger has sewn up her bowels so they won't leak their contents into her peritoneum anymore. And the drains should drain out what bugs are left in there. This should cure infection. She'll live? I don't know. This is all experimental, you see, but we're hopeful. The next day, fluid seeps through her dressings. The following day, bloody and foul fluid runs out of her drains. You have been listening to Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible. Podcast by the author Shireen Gigiboy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under Instrumental Music for Film and Video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.